0: It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football.
1: And here on first down a goal from the one, is Lavelle Coppedge in, untouched for the touchdown. Now, maybe the easiest touchdown Lavelle Coppedge has ever scored. Burke looking to throw, looking in the end zone, looking for Denton, and he's got him for the touchdown.
0: Each week, those who know Division Three football break down the weekend. There are several teams that seem to have established themselves as elite, and as we get into this postseason, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty exciting to watch. Which ones emerge? I don't. I don't think we can say. Okay, these two teams are, should definitely meet in the Stag Bowl, or these four teams should definitely meet in the final four. I think it's going to be, um, you know, pretty exciting five weeks of playoffs. From the record breakers. Well, Pat, he's been a guy who's averaged eight yards a carry all season. He's been a big play guy, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you, you know it's not the first time that we've had occasion to mention Western Connecticut, Connecticut State or Octavius McCoy. It's actually his third. C- consecutive five touchdown game
1: to the surprises on the field one just out of the blue makes me go what the hell was that Wartburg. wow congratulations that's a heck of a way to get into the second round to the surprises off the field for the first time in a few years not surprised maybe pleasantly surprised that uh, all eight at large teams that we projected actually got in it, it seems to me like the ncaa actually followed their own rules correctly you even hear from those on the
0: sidelines. You no,
1: know, we had no idea what the record set. I knew he was probably over 400. You know, just by coincidence, we were up two scores late, and uh, you know he, he had a carry to the sideline.
0: And I'm like, let's get him out of here. We don't want to get him hurt for next week. There is only one place to turn to—the only show that covers the entire Division III football nation, D3Football.com's Around the Nation podcast. I don't think you, you can argue it now, Pat. You have two dominant teams at the top of Division III.
1: Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith
0: McMillan.
1: Thanks, Dave. I I feel as uh, we start here, Season 8 of the Around the Nation podcast, that's almost more introduction than we deserve. But uh, yeah, I'm Pat Coleman. Uh, Keith McMillan is with me. And we're going to do the Around the Nation podcast a little differently here in Season 8. But uh, hopefully you will still uh, like the way that we do this. We're going to try to be a little more, I don't want to say a little more snappy, want to be a little more. A little less long-winded, would that be short-winded? And I'm already failing at that. But uh, we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna format it a little differently. I think we'll still talk about pretty much about the same number of games. We'll uh, break them up into some categories, and and we will try to talk uh, less. I mean, not that we won't talk as much, but maybe you know, after we get through this uh, first couple opening segments here, I've got a two-minute timer set for myself. Um, we'll see if that works. I think Keith might be doing the same thing. But uh, Keith, you know, this is uh, we're coming up. uh, This is the 2014 season. And I guess we talk about some things that we want to open the show with. And I thought maybe you should go first on that.
0: Pat, as we streamline things at the top of each podcast each week, you know, I thought we'd still want to hit on one big issue across the country. And as about 214 of the 244 teams were in action on week one uh, across Division Three, you know, the thing that impressed me the most actually was a handful of teams that lost. Now, it sounds maybe a little strange, but there, there were certain teams, uh, and these are top 25, top 50 type teams who went out and, and scheduled big games and uh, and played them tough in some cases, not so tough in other cases. But but I think you know, as you look across the the country and especially at this you know the top fifth of, of Division three, you know the teams that stood out to me even even in defeat today were uh, were Thomas Moore taking that uh, that opening that they had in the schedule by not playing the bridge bowl with Mount St. Joseph anymore and going to Wesley in week one, you know, they were, I was there for that game and they were very impressive to me, even in defeat. They lost 35, 20 to a, to a top five team in the country, but uh, they tackled well. I thought they, uh, you know, they showed a lot of fight. They weren't intimidated at all by, by Wesley. And that's a, a case where, you know, the Saints, they're probably not going to play a team as good as Wesley the rest of the season as, as they get into that pack schedule. You know, they'll have a couple tough games, Washington, Jefferson and Waynesburg, but it, but it won't be nearly uh, what what they saw today. And I think more teams should probably try to give themselves that test early on in the season. A couple other teams I, I thought did the same thing. Franklin going to Illinois, Wesleyan, uh, Hampton, Sydney to Wabash in week one and, uh, and Rowan playing Widener.
1: Yeah, we have always been big on uh, on on the aggressive scheduling, and it, you know, in the course of the last six or seven years, you know, some years the NCA committee uh, rewards that, some years they haven't. You know, the last couple of years, or especially last year for sure, they certainly did. When you talk about Saint John Fisher getting into the uh, NCA playoffs last year with two losses, that's exactly a uh, uh, um, a result of that of uh, the committee rewarding aggressive scheduling. And the, yeah, yeah, what? Where are we? We're about um, five minutes into our first podcast and we mentioned the NCA committee and selection process, but this is kind of the way things go. I mean, you know, the the coaches have to try to read the tea leaves and figure out what's the committee going to think in 2014 when I'm scheduling this game in 2012 or 2013 or sometimes even 2011. Right. So, you know, I, 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 uh, I definitely get that. Um, I think that, you know, you think about, um, I don't remember if, uh, you mentioned Hampton, Sydney, they belong on that list. Uh, there's, uh, but those are the, those are the big teams, right? Um, you know, the, we, we talked about four teams that were all in the top 25. Uh, they lost, two of them lost to teams that were ranked ahead of them. Uh, Rowan lost to a team in Widener who, you know, we could have thought the exact same thing of a couple of years ago, uh, in them scheduling this. And just because they uh, went through a down year and they've had three head coaches in the last three years, I wasn't really sure what to make of the pride, but they looked Pretty good on Friday night. I couldn't argue with that. That's for sure.
0: No, and and that's what you want to see out of your out of your first game. And you know, sometimes coaches, as you mentioned, Pat, are scheduling this game a couple years ahead. And and I don't know if if coaches are necessarily thinking that they need to impress the selection committee so much as they just want to get their team ready for the, for the, the grind of the rest of the season. And, you know, in the, in the cases of, of Thomas Moore, Franklin and Hampton, Sydney, especially those three, you know, playing a, an opening game against a team that may be better than any team you face in the, in the conference all season in the pack, in the, in the Heartland or in the ODAC, you know, that's about the the best challenge you can get for your team, especially when that, that automatic qualifier is on the table. The automatic bid, you know, will be available for you in November if you play well in your conference schedule.
1: I think you could, uh, and you go down to the maybe the other end of Division Three. Not all the way down to the other end, but you think of a team like St. Scholastica. They did the same sort of thing. They scheduled up. They scheduled aggressively. You know, the last two years they scheduled Whitworth. They weren't really in the game in the situation like that. This uh, this week, this year they scheduled Ripon, and they have St. John's coming up the next couple of years. And that's a, a situation where it's a little bit uh, the same for them, even though they're in a conference that's only going to ever get one bid into the tournament. Um, and Saint Scholastica, even if it goes 10 and 0, might still get sent to someone like Bethel or someone like Whitewater. Uh, still, that that's a this is the only opportunity really for Scholastica to get out there and see a team that might be somewhat representative of somebody they'd see in the playoffs.
0: Sure, and that's the case for a lot of teams, especially 10 team conferences. Nine year dates are filled. You only have that one non conference date to try to challenge your team with someone you haven't seen. Pat, you mentioned St. John's. I feel like that's one of the teams that probably could have pushed itself a little more in week one, found a, a better game. You know, um, w- Wisconsin-River Falls, I think, is a, a decent enough challenge. There's sort sort of some residual effect by playing a WIAC team. They'll probably get a decent strength of schedule bump without actually having to play one of the really good WIAC teams. But, but I think St. John's could probably challenge itself a little more. Uh, John Carroll playing St. Vincent, you know, I don't, I don't think was probably the best matchup you can get. You can, you know, you can, I'd give Heidelberg a pass because probably when they scheduled the, the series with Alma, Heidelberg wasn't as dominant as they've become quickly in the past couple of years. And uh, and you got to give a pass, of course, to, to Mount Union and Whitewater because those two teams, they have to take any game that they get. And, and even though Bethany is not much of a challenge for Mount Union, Waldorf certainly wasn't any challenge for Whitewater on Friday night. You know, just the fact that those teams are able to get the 10th game, I think, is probably, you know, about the best they can do. They, they, they don't have, you know, anybody to choose from.
1: I know St. John's will be scheduling uh, Buena Vista, I believe, uh, instead of uh, Wisconsin River Falls going forward here for a couple of years. Um, What I saw on Saturday, is uh, especially the game I was at, uh, you remember at the end of the season last year, and actually it's referenced here uh, in the opening to this podcast, uh, Wartburg with its surprise win in the first round. Not surprised that they beat Illinois Wesleyan, but surprised that they just dominated them from start to finish. In a game, I think that ended up forty-one to seven. Yeah, this was a uh, on uh, on Saturday night. They were really looked like they were in midseason form. They had a, a similar uh, similar defensive performance. They gave Ayrton Scott Fitz. Ayrton Scott is the the uh, guy who's the the dual-threat quarterback for Augsburg. Uh, he'd had um, this is just his junior year. He's still got another year left after this. Uh, but they sacked him five times. Uh, kept him to negative rushing yards. In fact, kept the team uh, the Augsburg team to negative rushing yards as well. Uh, you know, uh, Zach tweet up front with three and a half sacks, pretty impressive. Uh, they, the quarterback situation, Logan Schrader had been splitting time with Taylor Jacobs Meyer last year, and he's the quarterback full time. Now, basically, uh, he looked really good. Uh, Brandon Delmeyer looked good at running back, but Jack, uh, Jake Haberman, the guy who comes in relief of him looked pretty good too. And Jacobs Meyer still got his hand on the ball. He threw a touchdown pass. He lines up at wide out. Uh, the thing I was impressed by there was a lot of team speed for Warburg. Uh, they still have that big strength on the line up front on defense, and uh, you know as much as the Iowa Conference in the past, you know however many years it's been since uh, Central stopped being so dominant, uh, it's been kind of a kind of a rotating revolving door at the top. Uh, Warburg looked like a team that is going to have a a. a not an easy time, because that's not what I'm trying to say, but teams are going to have a hard time really uh, lining up and knocking them off their perch in that conference this year.
0: And, and that's kind of uh, exciting to see, I guess, from afar, a, a team that uh, you jumped out last season in the first round of the playoffs, caught a lot of eyes with that big win over Illinois Wesleyan, and to, to come back and start off this season well, I think, is uh, yeah, it makes that a team that, that those of us who vote in the top 25 are going to keep an eye on.
1: The other thing that uh, came out of Saturday that I, I wanted to spotlight up front, uh, we got, um, a, uh, I got a note from Ralph Greenslade, who's a, a, a contact of ours and occasional contributors. Uh, he's uh, you know uh, sent us some stuff over the course of the last few years, and he mentioned something to keep an eye on. Uh, so Nick Schultz was a D3Football.com All-American lineman back in 2012. He's a Franklin grad, um, and he is a... Uh, Uh, a police officer in the Chicago area in uh, Merrillville, Indiana. And he was critically wounded late Friday night. Uh, As of the time that we're recording this on Saturday, uh, he's uh, still in critical condition. That could change by the time you guys hear this on Monday morning. So um, I just uh, keep that in mind. Uh, So basically, uh, after the game... Uh, Coach Leonard gave a real impassioned speech to the team and to Franklin fans who had made the trip to Illinois Wesleyan uh, telling them about Schultz's situation, holding a 79 jersey. That's the number that he wore. Um, you know, Basically, the gist was, you know, we lost a football game. Big deal. It's not important. What is important is to savor every moment with people close to you because you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, that that's just kind of uh, wanted to keep, um, wanted to put that out there and keep... Uh, Franklin in mind, and, and keep uh, Nick Schultz and uh, his family in mind as well. That's a guy who uh, is a big contributor for them over the course of the last couple of years, and a guy that we talked about when uh, when he was suiting up.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, Pat, I had a, a moment like that today. Not nearly, I guess, as as serious as, as a police officer being wounded, but um, there was a sort of a bang bang play deep in the secondary late in the game at Wesley. Where uh, safety Sean Hopkins ran into Bobby Leonard, uh, one of the wide receivers for Thomas More, and, and as he lay there, you know he, he was only moving his head at first, and so we, we you know, you, those thoughts go through your head that as seriously as we take every different part of this game, and you and, and you know you, you have teams jawing at each other, and 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 fans you know getting angry with with, with officials. And, uh, you know, we're all in passion. We all love the competition and, and, and we want to see teams, you know, play well. Uh, when you see a guy laying on the on the turf, you know, it, it really does remind you and, and you can that reminder happens every time you see one of these big hits happen um you know that that it is just a game and that we're we're out here you know in the spirit of competition but we certainly don't want to see anything bad happen to anyone and uh Bobby Leonard did get up and, and walk off under his own power but I felt like for me you know those couple moments you know every time that happens it brings you back to that that uh that you know a little bit of fear that you have and it also makes you appreciate I guess, uh, what what these players put on the line every time they go out there and and suit up.
1: We're going to move forward with the rundown. Uh, Keith and I are each going to have a game ball to give out each week, and then we will go through and we'll uh, talk about uh, some teams on the rise, teams on the fall, some things off the beaten path and that sort of thing. And I thought I would start um, by... Taking your definition and completely blowing it out of the water, of course, because why would we stick with a format even though we haven't even done it yet? So uh, I wanted to give my game ball to the guy named Burrish who plays defense for Wabash. Uh, you know, if you if you combine Ethan and Cody Burrish, they had a fantastic game on Saturday. Three and a half sacks. Uh, Cody Burrish with two sacks. Ethan Burrish with a sack and a half. Uh, Ethan with a interception return for a touchdown. Uh, they combined for six tackles for loss. Cody Persh forced a fumble. I mean, they were really uh, significant, obviously, in, uh, up front against Hampton-Sydney. Uh, Nash Nance was sacked six times. And you, we talked ever so briefly, I think Keith, in the preseason, about the. I didn't start my timer, so my two minutes aren't going to work correctly. Um, we talked about uh, the fact that there was going to be a you know wholesale changes on the offensive line for Hampton Sydney, and we know that Nash Nance is mobile and likes to run, but uh, he was not running in the positive direction on Saturday.
0: Yeah, that's that's not a good sign. And, and Pat, we did think that was. Possibly the the one weakness for Hampton-Sydney. They they had All-American. Uh, Will Farrell had been on the line the past couple of years. And, and, you know, as we go through the rankings at the beginning of each year you, and you look at who's coming back for each team, that's one of the things we look for, a team bringing back a lot of offensive linemen because uh, especially for a team that likes to throw as much as Hampton-Sydney does, it's really important to have that protection up front. And, and Wabash Wabash made a pretty big dent in uh, in Hampton-Sydney day by getting a rush on Nash Nance. My game ball, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and give mine out, goes to uh, Adrian Wide Receiver, Nathan Hartline. Five catches on Saturday, five touchdowns. And, and this was a, a, a scoreline that you may have missed if you were only focusing on the top 25 scores. Uh, Adrian beat Defiance 35-13, but all five of those touchdowns went from Aaron Tenney, who only had 10 completions. Five of those are touchdown passes to Nathan Hartline, and uh, Hartline stretched those those touchdown catches over the course of the game, uh, one in each quarter, except for in the second quarter when he had two, an 80-yard touchdown catch and a 56-yard touchdown catch. Here are the lengths of the touchdowns, uh, 15, 80, 56, 3, and 7 in the fourth quarter. And like I said, all five catches for touchdowns, 161 yards, 32 yards a catch. Nice day for Nathan Hartline of Adrian. That's my first game ball.
1: <laughs> nice day. That's a nice month. Five touchdown catches. That's a, that's pretty impressive. Nice uh Nice, uh, nice day there for uh, Nathan Hartline. Uh, my team on the rise. Uh, talking about a team on the rise in the poll, Illinois Wesleyan. I, I think that's probably not too surprising. Um, you know, there are obviously some other teams that uh, did some things impressive on Saturday, but you know, Illinois Wesleyan was a team that was sitting right outside the top twenty-five to begin with. In fact. Illinois Wesleyan, and it's one of its preseason releases. Mentioned that they were ranked number twenty-seven, and that's not a thing. You do not get to be ranked if you're not in the top twenty-five. I just, you know, just want to clarify that. But I think that, uh, you know, even though the fact that uh, you guys are probably, you guys will see the poll before you hear this podcast, I feel pretty good that Illinois Wesleyan will probably be in that top twenty-five.
0: Yeah. I, I... I think I'll probably vote for them this week, Pat. And I wrote down three risers in case you took one of mine, and you certainly did. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan was one of the three. The other two were Widener. We mentioned that that went over Rowan. That was a team that uh, was was probably just outside the top 25 for a lot of voters in the preseason as well. But here's my riser, Johns Hopkins. We had questions about them going into the season. I think it was you who mentioned it in in Triple Take, yeah. uh, maybe having some some doubts yep. about Hopkins. And and it happens sort of every year. They graduate. If they graduate some offensive stars, you wonder are they going to be able to keep up the pace? Well, they more than kept it up. They beat up my alma Mater forty two to three in Baltimore on Saturday. And I think that's a team which personally I I, I had them on the outskirts of the top twenty five at the start of the season because uh, so few starters back on offense. But I think they'll uh, they'll move up.
1: If you think about a team that's going to be taking a fall, and we talked about Hampton-Sydney a little bit, um, but you know, I, I watched a, a fair uh, amount of that game partly because I was really interested in what the atmosphere would be like. You know, it wasn't quite Monon Bell from what I saw. And, you know, we'll be writing more about this over the course of the week because uh, Ryan Tipps, our new Around the Nation columnist, was at the game. So we'll hear a little bit more about that. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, the, you know, you and I have seen Marty Favrets, Coach Marty Favret and his offenses uh, for yeah, a lot longer probably than I, either of us would care to admit. 20 years exactly 20 years for me maybe he's not that interested in hearing about the fact that it's this 21st season of of that too oh i ran out of time look at that um so i'll be brief and say uh it, the the offense was a little bit more plain a little bit more vanilla a lot of screens and then some deep balls and just not as uh, creative as i would uh, remember have remember having seen it so uh, i think that's uh that that's a team that uh, for Hampton City, they're not going to face anybody like this for the rest of the season. Kind of like you said with Thomas Moore, uh, I think they still might struggle here for a little bit before that uh, offensive line kind of brings it together.
0: Yeah. So. And, and maybe those screens bat were uh, we trying to compensate for the lack of a, uh, a real experienced offensive line uh, it didn't work on Saturday and and, uh, another team whose defense didn't work so well on Saturday, Cortland state. And I realized I was the only person to put them in the top 25 and I'll probably be the only person dropping them out of the top 25 as the, uh, as the next poll comes out. Although uh, they certainly were impressive offensively, a 51 48 loss to Buffalo state kind of reminiscent of last season's opening week. They lost 41 28 uh, uh, last year. In in the opener against Buffalo State, this time the game went to overtime. Forty nine yard field goal for Buff State to put the game in overtime, and, and then uh, a thirty four yard field goal in overtime to win it. But uh, you know, the thing that that really stands out about Cortland State in that game, they were they put the first three scores on the board: two field goals and a touchdown, led fourteen uh, zero. Let that lead get compressed. Had to come back actually in that game uh, to take the lead, and then uh, Buff State tied it and uh, and kicked that field goal in overtime to win. The only reason that Buffalo State even got a chance to kick that
1: 49-yard field goal at the end of regulation is because uh, Cortland failed to run out the clock. Uh, they had uh fourth down with six seconds to go. They lined up to punt, ran the ball backwards 22 yards, and slid with the uh, intention of that ending the game, but there was still a second left. So that was why... Uh Mark Montana got to come on and kick that 49-yard field goal to send it into overtime, and then he had the heroics at the end. So uh, I have heard, I've seen online that there's supposed to be video of this. Uh, I would really like to see how that uh, turned out because that's um, that's a really not impressive,
0: happy way to lose a game, that's for sure. Sure, Pat. You, you can watch football as long as we've watched it, and we've now referenced that twice in the past <laughs> oh, four minutes. But, um, You're not even in- 40 yet, right? no 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 no, not at all um but but you know you see you you feel like you've seen it all and you you really never have something new happens every year and that's part of the reason why we get so excited when d3 season comes back there's a
1: lot of stuff in Division divisions that goes on Keith mentioned uh more than 100 games on Saturday you know almost everybody but a couple of teams in the OAC some teams on the west coast and of course the entire NESCAC uh were in action so there was a lot of things that could be off the beaten path one of the things that uh uh, was a uh, that that I want to spotlight is is as off the beaten path as I can make it since I'm I'm also kind of compiling the uh, front page roundups. It's in the roundup. Uh, I can't avoid that. Sorry, I can't uh, keep it out of the roundup just so it can be off the beaten path for this. But I was thinking about McAllister beating Carlton and uh, retain not retaining getting the book of knowledge uh, is uh, you know the the. the the traveling trophy between those two teams, uh, 11 consecutive years. Carlton had won that. And, and McAllister has been out of the MIAc for 12 years. They joined the Midwest conference as a, uh, football only member this year. And, uh, so the Scots have been out of the MIAc for football since 2001, but Michael Abrahamson, Abramson, I'm not going to add that extra syllable. Uh, kicked a 37 yard field goal as time expired and Mac beat Carlton 17, 14. And Adam Johnson was very happy. I'm sure.
0: I'm um, sure he was. Oh, it's been a while since we talked about Adam. Hope he's doing well. <laughs> uh, I had a couple of off the beaten path games. I guess they weren't com- completely uh, way way out there, uh, but a few I wanted to spotlight. Bridgewater uh, beat Gettysburg uh, 33-32, and it you know it's been I guess 10 years now since, or or maybe even 12, 13 years Dude. since since Bridgewater's been a. a uh you know deep in the playoffs type of program and uh, actually f- fell on hard times pretty recently a 3 and 7 season and uh, to see them get back and to see them do it in exciting fashion against Gettysburg uh having to convert a fourth down late in that game to uh to keep things alive and then Gettysburg ha- got the ball back and had a chance to uh to try to get themselves in field goal range but uh, but weren't able to do it and and another game that you know maybe is only a big game in New England but maybe one that we reference later in the season Framingham State 20, Endicott 17, and uh you know, those are games that you know in the past uh have have had influence, I guess we'd say, on uh, on who gets into the postseason. Have had influence. I
1: like that. Um you think about a, a game that uh was the most surprising. There are a lot of of course a lot of surprising results, and there always are in week whatever I mean pick a week I think especially so in week one because you you think of what teams have coming back on paper and try to match that up with what really happens um but I have a hard time kind of picturing that uh defeated Elmhurst on Saturday 39 to 17 I saw Loris play at Elmhurst last year when the these two teams opened with each other and, and Loris just looked like it didn't belong on the field and Elmhurst wasn't that great last year either um You know, Elmer was taking a big step back from its uh, second round uh, playoff team from the year before, had graduated a bunch of guys, uh, changed head coaches. Well, they changed head coaches again. And uh, Loris uh, scores, you know, 21 points in the second half. They win this game 39-17. If you if you had uh, I would have probably gone through. Uh, 95 of the 100 whatever games that were being played on Saturday and, and been uh, it would be very difficult to be more surprised than something like this.
0: Well, Pat, I, I wrote down three games for most surprising result. And uh, in case you stole mine and you did do it again. Yes. Uh, Lo- Loris Elmhurst was on there. Um, I also I put Northwestern Minnesota beating St. Olaf 17-16. Uh, yeah. Northwestern's had some some nice wins over the course of, of, of the, over the years. They beat River Falls once. But, you know, to see a, a UMAC program beat a MIAC program, especially – with the season that the, the Mayak had non-conference last year uh, w- was an eye catcher. But my most surprising result, Howard Payne, 30, yeah. Trinity, Texas, 27. Yeah. I thought that, was, that, that stood out. And uh, especially the way it happened, Trinity um, has the lead and the ball late in the game and, uh, and, and fumbles in their own territory. And Howard Payne put together a, uh, a short drive, scores with about two and a half minutes left, and, uh, and is able to hang on in that one. But, uh, you know, Maybe a program in terms of Howard Payne, one that's uh, been—I don't know if you want to say off the radar—just has never quite been able to, to 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 build itself into into a successful program uh, for them to beat what used to be the dominant team in Texas before Mary Harden Baylor's rise. I think is a pretty big win.
1: Yeah, uh, Howard Payne lost its uh, its best running back. Also, uh, he he transferred to Sul Ross State in the off season. Um, it, and, you know, uh, obviously Howard Payne got up off the map, off the mat a little bit, uh, last year, but yeah, I really thought that, um, you know, I, I thought that Trini would be in a position to compete for a pool B bid. And, you know, you take that loss in week one to somebody who, you know, is not Mary Harden Baylor or Wesley or something like that. And it's really hard to kind of Pull things back together and get back in and and uh, and, and compete for the for an at large spot. When there's we think there's just two of them, nationally. Uh, and you picture Wesley probably having one. Um, Trinity also has to play Pacific Lutheran here before the uh, season is over. So maybe uh, it's not 2014 for the Tigers. I do think that Jeremy Urban is going to get this uh, program turned around. I don't think they're going to be able to be the dominant force in Texas anymore because you know because Mary Harden Baylor, but. I think that Trinity is going to be back in a position where they're going to be competing again.
0: Yeah, but certainly a a tough way to start the season, Pat, as you mentioned, because of the, uh, you know, now that the SCAC is only four teams, there's no automatic bid on the table uh, for the champion. And so you have to be really impressive over the course of the season. Remember last year, uh, Millsaps and Texas Lutheran, a couple of teams from down south uh, only had one loss and and there weren't enough spots for them to squeeze into the playoffs.
1: Um, you mentioned the Northwestern, uh, game over St. Olaf Northwestern, uh, big night for them in, uh, in Roseville. I think they are technically in Roseville. Uh, they opened a brand new stadium and everybody's very happy. So uh, a big, a lot of, uh, a lot of changes, a lot of big things happening athletically in terms of building, uh, facilities there. And maybe they will be, uh, kind of building that team back up there too. Who knows? um stat of the week i figured i have to go with tommy michaels rushing for 182 yards and two touchdowns for john carroll now uh, granted it's against st vincent and and you know keith you mentioned this earlier, and it's true it's not exactly john carroll stepping out and making a uh, a great uh you know non-conference matchup i do notice that uh two years against St. Norbert and, uh, you know, at least one year, I suppose there's probably a, a, a return game against St. Vincent and John Carroll's playing all the Catholic schools that it can, I guess, in the area. Um, I'd like to see them play then St. Thomas or Thomas Moore or something like that. That would be a nice uh, a nice step up for them. But So here's the reason why Tommy Michaels is interesting or important. Uh, you know, the, the question now over the last few days has been the – status of Mark Myers, the stud quarterback for John Carroll, you know, is his hand broken or is his hand bruised? Uh, they're playing it really close to the vest. They didn't need him on Saturday and, uh, I doubt that he would rush for 182 yards in a game where they had their stud all American candidate quarterback healthy.
0: Yeah. And, and, uh, it, that's a, that's a big potentially big injury in in not just in the OAC but in the playoff picture so we'll keep a close eye on that but it, for for John Carroll fans it's uh, nice to know they can run the ball if they have to Pat, if i uh, if i told you a team was 4-17 on third downs uh, what kind of day would you think they had
1: so is that 4-4-17 four, four, or
0: 4-17 four,
1: four, four,
0: 17 third down attempts 4 of them converted <laughs>
1: That I wouldn't suspect they do very well. I could think of a lot of situations where someone goes, you know, four for six or four for eight, and then they – but they just converted a lot of second downs and a lot of first downs. But if you have 17 third downs and fail on 13 of them, you better be really good on fourth down, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, interesting that you bring that up, and interesting that you bring up four or six. Buff State, 528 oh. yards, 51 points on Saturday, just four seventeen on third down. Ah. But they were – They were four, six on fourth down. So you don't need to convert those uh, those thirds if you can get them on fourth, apparently.
1: Oh, we got we got reached our two minutes on that. But I just want to uh, before we leave that, I I just wanted to point out that looking at the box score on this, you know, the scoring summary takes like two full screens. It's just it's craziness. It's just uh, that's a fantastic game. And I really do hope that we get to see those highlights. at something else. So, you know, we do on Fridays, those triple take predictions uh, where uh, Keith and Ryan Tips and I kind of go through and pick out, you know, people who might get upset, what the game of the week might be, a game that's surprisingly close. Hey, I got that one right this week. Um, You might try to pick a top 25 team to lose. Some of our predictions are great. Some of our predictions are meaningless. Uh, We're going to pick we're going to spotlight a really good one and then we're going to spotlight a really crappy one. But uh, one of the ones that worked for me, uh, we toot our own horn. We should probably, uh, anyway. um, They'll be on your radar. Stevenson. My thought about Stevenson was uh, this is, uh, you know, a program that's in year four, and a lot of times uh, the teams that have uh, had that senior or that freshman class come all the way up have a bunch of seniors really have a, a bit of a surge and a breakout in year four, and then struggle in year five. By the way, Pacific, but. Uh, for in this case, uh, I thought Stevenson, especially going to North Carolina, Wesleyan was looking to be in, in pretty good position to get on somebody's radar. And, uh, they won 40 to 19 in a game on Saturday, by the way, I think like many of the others, uh, in division three, which was lightning or weather delayed, uh, they did get the finish getting that game in. So, uh, Stevenson, uh, Jeff Farah threw for 131 yards and a touchdown. Trey Lee, who we've talked about before. 111 yards rushing on just 13 carries and a couple of scores, and uh, I thought Stevenson uh, deserves to be on people's radar this week.
0: Yeah, well, I guess you can't be wrong about uh, being on the radar. You know, there's no way to 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 miss that prediction. So, <laughs> yeah, I could, suppose we can always count that one. You know, Pat, I don't think necessarily the the point of triple take is to pat ourselves on the back either. I think it's to give this giant division remember 244 teams are over 100 games uh, on Saturday and so you know part of the job is just for me you and Ryan to just boil things down into into some some things that people can digest on Friday morning take a look at that and say okay these are the games besides the game I'm going to that I should pay attention to but uh, I I thought the best prediction was uh, the surprisingly close game sometimes we strike out big on those and uh, this week Union at Ithaca uh, because Union had so many starters back on offense everybody but the tight end and uh and Ithaca just had three back on defense you know it it was a matchup of a three and seven team going against a second round playoff team on paper you think maybe that's not a very good game uh but it turned out to be one and uh Ithaca hung on in that one 21-16 and that's nice to see too because there was a time of course when Union and Ithaca were both very good programs in upstate New York at the same time your pick uh maybe I'll let you speak to this one uh McDaniel at Catholic that was a 34-31 Friday night game and uh Kind of going back to the, the the cardiac Cardinals almost of a few years ago
1: yeah and you know I'll just be brief about that because Catholic won that game by uh, four and a half five touchdowns last year at McDaniel uh, I just knew that Catholic had a lot of holes uh, to fill they had a lot of guys who graduated. And McDaniel was a team that was bouncing up, and maybe Catholic might be a team that was bouncing down. I think Catholic missed a 29-yard field goal at the gun that would have tied the game, uh, and as you said, they lost 34-31. So those are good predictions. Uh, you know, we always have some clunkers as well. Um, well, of course, you know, Keith, you set us up with a really interesting question: pick a team ranked 150 to 244 in kickoff that wins a game. Um, and you know, of course, you know. Uh, as we're putting those things together, putting that ranking together, it's like there's a lot of teams, there's a lot of teams in that span, especially lower down in the 200 range, who might not win a game or are not going to beat a team that's ahead of them. Uh, and you know, in in a perfect ranking, that's the way it would always happen. Not every ranking is perfect. I tried to uh, I tried to sell that uh, Farum would beat uh, Emery and Henry, and I I think that. Uh, if I understand correctly, Emory and Henry is still scoring that game, so uh, it ended up being forty-one twelve, Emory and Henry. So, a uh, a good win in the coaching debut for the new head coach for the Wasps, Kurt Newsom.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's the wasps don't change coaches very often. That's sort of a sort of a big one. And Pat, you're right. I, I guess that question by its nature was sort of forcing us all to go dumpster diving, so to speak. Um, yeah. we, we were looking for a, a team that's very low, low ranked, maybe has its easiest game of the season. Uh, I think Ryan uh, picked Misericordia, which was 203rd in the preseason. So uh, that's very gutsy just for us for, to pick someone to win who's ranked higher than 200 uh, Misericordia. Cordia did not win. Uh, they lost 55-0 to Utica. Uh, but that's not my worst prediction. My worst prediction is all all of us thinking that the soup bowl <laughs> would would be a close game, and it turned out it was not uh, kickoff was correct. Kickoff predicted big things uh, for Guilford. That was Adam Turr who wrote that, so we'll give a shout-out to him here. Um, they dominated Greensboro, 51-0 in the Soup Bowl. Uh, and, and meanwhile, the game, the, the new rivalry game that we thought it would be closer than, I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, the Pinchon-Saw game uh, between Western New England and Springfield, turned out that was a pretty close game on Friday night.
1: I'll just uh, sh- throw one shot here in overtime. Yeah, Soup Bowl might not have been a close game, but they collected more than seven thousand canned goods for charity, and that's a YD three moment right there. So, I'm um, I'm okay with uh, with the game not being close because you know this is what we do. This is Division Three. Uh, under 40 minutes in the podcast, we're already up to the lightning round. So, uh, in fact, to be honest with you, we're getting pretty close to the uh, time where we probably think we want to start wrapping this thing up anyway. Uh, a couple of things that uh, stuck out to me. First of all, of course, George Fox, welcome to uh, Division Three football. Uh, you know, when uh, at the beginning of the season, I thought... Oh, they should be able to handle Arizona Christian, no problem. Arizona Christian's got to make the flight, I assume, from Arizona up to the Portland area. What I did not understand was, and forget forget that, you know, the NAIA starts a lot earlier. This was game three for Arizona Christian and uh, the first game for George Fox. And if you uh, you ascribe to all the stuff that uh, coaches say that you make your biggest improvement between one and two, uh, anyway... Just uh, welcome to football. Glad you hung in there. Sorry it didn't turn out at the end that they lost that game. Um, also, Mary Harden-Baylor, Millsaps had to be feeling pretty good about where they stood, down 14-7 going into the locker room at halftime, and then Mary Harden-Baylor happened all over the majors with 23 points in the third quarter, and they went on to win that game 43-7. to
0: Pat, you make a good point about uh, about NAI being on their third week, but it was also the third week for Waldorf, and uh, they didn't yeah. look so hot against uh, Whitewater. In in fact, you know the crazy thing about the Whitewater game. Um, I looked at the box score and uh you know Matt Barrett was a third quarterback or the he was third listed third in the stats. He's the, the star quarterback, took him to the Stag Bowl last season. I thought did he get hurt? Did they did they just not play him for some reason? Uh but they were already on their substitute quarterback by the second quarter and he threw four touchdown passes. Chris Nelson, I believe is his name. Uh you know, some things we're mentioning in the lightning round, not always uh good things for, for our teams. Um East Texas Baptist played Texas A&M Commerce, a D2 team in in, in Texas, and uh, lost that one 98-20 on Thursday night. They were the first D3 team in action. They gave up 986 yards, but. Uh, a couple years ago, we saw a similar situation when McMurray played Stephen F. Austin. That's an uh, FCS team. They lost 82-6, I believe, in the in the opening weekend. Went on to win nine games, go to the D3 playoffs. So sometimes, you know, we get the we get a dose of reality when you're you're taking a group of non-scholarship players, putting them against a group of scholarship players, and uh, the the scores don't always end up very pretty. But doesn't mean the season is over for East Te- East Texas Baptist because uh, they have their D3 schedule coming up
1: coming up next week uh, a couple of games between the teams that uh, you know Franklin won't be in the top 25 they host Wisconsin Whitewater again all the times that Franklin has played Whitewater and Mountain Union over the course of the last few years that's a a pretty impressive gauntlet that they've run Uh, Bethel will be at Wartburg that's a game that I may uh, well find myself at on Saturday Uh, St. Thomas hosts UW lacrosse Uh, Redlands gets into action they travel to Mary Harden Baylor Linfield will play his first game of the year and Chapman will play his first game of the year as well that's oddly enough against each other and it's at Chapman Uh, Wesley versus Salisbury Keith uh, remind us who got tossed from uh, Saturday's game for Wesley and, and if we know what that means for how when he's able to play against Salisbury
0: well, Sustin Capapula, the All-American linebacker, uh, got ejected in the third quarter of that game. Uh, it was sort of an odd situation. The, the, the play happened. On the other side of the field, it was a big hit, and uh, the it was sort of carryover from a play before where Capipula had had put a huge hit on uh, on Bobby Leonard, uh, the the wide receiver from Thomas Moore across the middle, and uh, I don't know if he was still still joined, but he picked up a second personal foul, thrown out of the game, and um, the rule as I understand it currently, as we're recording this podcast, is if you get thrown out um, in a, in the second half of a game. Um, you get you get to come back in the second half of next week's game, which I which um, seemed that would be contrary to what my understanding was before this all happened, which I thought when you if you get ejected from a game, uh, you don't get to play next week, but in either case, whether they're missing Suston Capopola for a half or for the entire game uh, t- to go down to Salisbury and uh, not have your the heart of your defense. You know he's, he's an outside linebacker, not a middle linebacker, but he's basically uh, you know the, the best player on, on, on what was a very good defense on Saturday. Thomas Moore was you know averaged 40 points a game, well over 400 yards a game last season. And uh, Wesley's starters, you know, held, held, held them to seven. Um, you know, Tom, Thomas Morris scored a couple of touchdowns late. And um, they held him to seven when Capapula was on the field. Let, let's say it that way. But uh, Salisbury has that triple option offense, which is tough to prepare for. But Wesley probably knows it as well as anyone.
1: A couple of other games coming up. Uh, Christopher Newport at Hampton, Sydney. Christopher Newport lost uh, in the uh, in week one to Salisbury. And uh, so they and Hampton City both coming off a loss. And the CNU, I think, picked off. Uh, Nash Nance seven times last year, if I remember correctly, so that should be an interesting matchup. Uh, Cortland uh, hosts Brockport State. FM at Muhlenberg, that's a key game in early on in the uh, Centennial Conference standings, especially after FNM beat Lebval on Saturday. Uh, one game I wanted to spotlight and toss back to you for reaction, Keith. Uh, Salve Regina hosts Montclair State, and then I saw over uh, the last week and a half or two weeks, uh, NEFC coaches being all happy about the fact that they had gone out and scheduled some more non-New England teams. And I'm thinking, hey, maybe those are guys who listen to the podcast, because I think that's about the thing that we've been harping about uh, in that conference, or more, uh, maybe on the more positive note, uh, rewarding and praising schools like Salve Regina, who do step out and schedule New Jersey teams and upstate New York teams and that sort of thing.
0: Sure, and we should probably throw uh, Framingham State in that group because they play Rowan next week. Um, and and yeah, I think that's a a, a big deal. And, and if the if those guys do listen to the podcast, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We uh, so of course we we do it all for for everybody uh, who is scattered all across the country and and doesn't uh, always get an opportunity to see other teams play. And, and because you and I are fortunate enough uh, to to see different teams play and and, and match everybody, you know make sense of this 27 conference, 244 team behemoth, uh, that we have here. Um, you know, we do sometimes see those inequities and, in, 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 um, f- for the NFC teams and for new England teams, you know, to get out and play that tougher competition is really important. If you want to have that success further down the line, when you get into the third week in November and you're in the first round of the playoffs,
1: other games, uh, next Saturday, Widener, they go to Lebanon Valley, Uh, There was another one further down here. Millsap's at Mount St. Joseph. Mount St. Joseph off a pretty impressive win Saturday where they defeated Augustana and Millsap's going to be coming in maybe uh, at least a little bit with its tail between its legs and then has to make an interesting trip.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a random game. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, teams, especially early in the season, just have to fill out each other's schedule. But, uh, you know, Mount St. Joseph, Bill Saps is is not one we've seen before. And uh, speaking of of random games, I guess we should probably – I should have probably mentioned this back in the lightning round, but – Pomona Pitzer uh, and MIT got together uh, on Saturday, and uh, that's, that's not necessarily as random because the schools at least kind of have a similar academic profile maybe, but um, it's about as long a trip as you can make in, uh, in D3 or in the continental United States going from Southern California to Boston.
1: Yeah, I don't think uh, unless they're going up to Husson or something later, I don't think we're going to see uh, a trip longer than that this year. Uh, we've got the Secretary's Cup between uh, Merchant Marine and Coast Guard Academy. Uh, Texas Lutheran got a, getting a chance for revenge. Remember how Harden Simmons just blew them out and knocked them out of any playoff consideration last year. They have a chance to, uh, to uh, kind of get some revenge for that here coming up this week.
0: Yeah, and that, that was a big, big game. Last season, not just because it was the 73 44 final, uh, you know, one of the, the few wins for Harden Simmons last season, but it had repercussions all the way across D3. People at, at WashU cared about that result. People at Millsaps cared about it. Wesley, Framingham State, everybody, that, that was a big result, about as, as big as it gets within that Pool B group. Wash U travels
1: to Rhodes. That's been a great kind of under the radar rivalry in previous years, and it'll be a conference game next year. And of course, the battle for Alabama when uh, Birmingham Southern goes to Huntingdon coming up this week. Keith, I would ask you what you're writing about, but that's not happening anymore. Give us a little, uh, give us a, give the the listeners a little bit of uh, talk through about that.
0: Well, basically, uh, you know, Pat, you and I, as long as we've been doing this, we've also maintained full time jobs, and so. Um, for me, I, I wanted to, I, I, I want to do around the nation. I want to do it really well. And I did it for 12 years, I guess. And I wrote it around the region column for a year before that. So, you know, after 13 years, I don't want to say I'm out of ideas, but maybe it's time for a fresh voice and, and Ryan tips, uh, certainly has earned it. And I know, you know, he, I've talked a little bit and, and he knows uh, he has a different writing style than, than I do. And that's good. I think we saw uh, got a little taste of that in week one where he uh, talked about the the Wabash Hampton Sydney game, and I'm looking forward to reading his columns and the rest of the around the region columns. Uh, we we have some uh, you know pretty good columnists lined up once again, so uh, I think the the coverage. You know, it doesn't change a whole lot. And, and for folks who enjoyed uh, around the nation with me now, we, you know, we still have us doing the podcast and uh, I won't be too far gone. But um, but it is very difficult on the weekends to go from being consumed by D3 on Sundays to to being what my regular job is being consumed by the NFL. I'm sorry, consumed by D3 on Saturdays, being consumed by the NFL uh, on on Sunday and Monday and then trying to go back sometime during the week and, and, th- and, and think through D3 again. So I, I think that's part of the reason why uh, I didn't mind handing it off. And I'm, uh, I'm glad we have uh, people on staff uh, like Ryan Tips who can, uh, who can take it and, uh, and run with it.
1: Yeah, Ryan Tips was a, a around the Mid-Atlantic columnist for several years. He'd been serving in an editorial role. He'd been uh, mentoring some of our younger writers and doing some editing, which is something I will miss. I'm actually looking for an editor if uh, people who are 49 minutes into the podcast have editing skills. Uh, yeah, and, and no Division three, Give me a call or drop me an email. So Around the Region coming up this week, uh, of course, and Around the Nation columns from Ryan Tips. Uh, also, we will continue to do some video stuff this year. We are not going to go out and do D3 reports ourselves as heavily as we have in previous years. Uh, we will try to do them. We'll save that sort of coverage for you know um, for for games that are uh, a little bit more meaningful in the uh, national or even regional landscape. Uh, we try to uh, replace those things with interviews when ga- we're at games, that sort of thing. And uh, you guys may still feel free to do those, and, and we would be glad to include them in our uh, weekly list in which we will also include uh, game highlights and that sort of thing. Uh, Play of the Week nominations. We know there are coaches who are listening. Uh, Those are due by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. Uh, We want to see those, and we really would like to see uh, some kind of finished products, not just two separate files, one wide, one tight. If you Give us a little help here and edit those things together so I don't have to keep uh, paying Dave McHugh so much to help me out with that stuff. <laughs> or taking time away from my day job on Monday. I'm sure nobody at my day job is listening to this podcast. I certainly hope not. Um, but we're recording this on Saturday night. This is my weekend. Other stuff. Uh, you know, we'll continue to do uh, coverage throughout the course of the week. Uh, we'll have the uh, team of the week uh, presented by Scoutware. That is our weekly honor roll. SIDs all got an email about this last week with reminders about how to do that as well. So we, uh, you know, we hope to see great nominations for that as we pick the top player at each position from across the country. For the past week, and give us your feedback. Uh, let us know. Do you like the uh, you like the way this podcast uh, went compared to the previous eight years, seven years? Um, you know, tell us about that. Tweet us, drop us a line, stating point of view, comment at the bottom of the page. All sorts of various uh, wonderful possibilities for you to tell us what you think about that sort of thing. So. Uh, That is the Around the Nation podcast for week one, September 7th, 2014, September 8th, 2014. Uh, For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman, and we will see you again next week on the podcast.